city all year long. Is, it, is this the 40 year anniversary of when we closed? I think it, it was. So, what a year it's been. I'm starting to come back. No, really, really good. Thank you for being here this morning. In September of 1886, Washington Square, a park which is just a few blocks south here between Broad Street and Chalmers Street, became a tent city for hundreds and hundreds of people whose homes had been destroyed by a great earthquake. Charleston was the epicenter of it. But the shock of the earthquake was felt as far north as Boston and as far south as Cuba, as far west as Chicago and New Orleans. Now, there were some, apparently, who believed that an earthquake of this magnitude must certainly be the judgment of God. And so they seized that moment to begin preaching in the tent city, to shout evangelistic messages day and night among the camp dwellers. And their quote-unquote evangelism was so loud and so incessant that other residents in the camp went to the mayor and the city council to get an order to prevent them from preaching in Washington Square. Because these homeless people who already had shattered nerves and ruined lives, they just wanted a little peace and rest. Now looking back, we might conclude that these quote-unquote evangelists were speaking good words, but in a wrong or insensitive way. Perhaps you've encountered the megaphone toting preacher on Calhoun Street, singing, shouting out angrily that you're going to hell if you don't repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. Good words delivered in a wrong or insensitive way. Maybe you've fallen victim to driving by evangelism. You know what I mean by that? You've been accosted by a perfect stranger who comes up to you and speaks the words of the gospel at you but never speaks to you. Good words spoken in a wrong or insensitive way. I'm not saying there's never any place for that or the Lord doesn't use that. But here's what I am saying. We must always seek to speak the good words of the gospel in a right and sensitive way. We must always seek to speak the good words of the gospel in a right and a sensitive way. That's what I want us to talk about this morning as we return once again to the Great Commission. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn it into Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible or a phone uh, in the bullets, you'll find the passage printed there. So as soon as you've found Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we can hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16, this is the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. God, we so want to understand this command, this great commission. We want to live it out in our lives. We want to be obedient. So toward that end, we pray you bless us, Lord. Spirit of God, give us understanding as we come to your word. Show us the way. Show us how to obey. Show us how to speak your good word in a right and sensitive way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Maybe seated. We are back in the Great Commission because it's really so vital that we understand what Jesus is commanding his disciples here and commanding us through them. So we have seen in previous weeks that the commands of this verse are go and make disciples. Now last week I posited that the, the proclamation is the primary means by which you and I will make disciples. The proclamation is what Jesus understood his ministry and his purpose to be. In, in his first sermon that Luke records in chapter 4 of Luke, Jesus says, The Spirit of God is upon me because he has appointed, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As it makes this proclamation, some people desire to keep Jesus with them, but Jesus cannot stay. And he says to those people, I must preach, must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so he tells us that Jesus then sets off to preach in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus is propelled. He's pushed forward by this proclamation ministry. He has words to speak. You and I have words to speak. Good words that point to the truth about Jesus. Words that must be believed by faith before anyone can ever become a disciple of Jesus. Now, having said that, we must not be reckless proclaimers of these words. How did Jesus live? Let's pick up where we left Jesus. Last week, at the end of Luke 4, as he leaves to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, immediately after he leaves to preach, Luke tells us that a crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. There's proclamation. The not yet disciple much less not yet apostle, Peter was among that crowd. And when Jesus speaks to Peter, he does not first say to him, follow me, become my disciple. No. The first thing that Jesus says to Peter is, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus knows the real life felt need of Peter. Jesus knows that Peter has been up toiling all night long and hasn't caught anything. 
And that's not good news for a man whose livelihood comes from selling the fish that he catches. And so you know the story. Peter obeys. He takes his boat out into deep water. He lets down the net. And he catches so many fish that the nets begin to break. And he has to signal to his partners, come here, come and help me. Then, then Jesus speaks these words to Peter. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Luke doesn't give us a lot of details about this conversation between Peter and Jesus. But Peter knows that Jesus is offering him something beyond himself. Something bigger than himself. A something that we know to be the kingdom of God. Then Peter leaves everything and follows Jesus and becomes his disciple. I suppose that means that he even leaves all of those fish that he just caught, that he thought he needed so badly because he knows Jesus is better. So you see, Jesus knows the felt need, he addresses the need, and then he says, follow me. There's a felt need and there's a deeper need that some may not be able to identify. Jesus considers them both. Jesus addresses them both. And so must we if we will be faithful and not reckless proclaimers of gospel words if we ever hope to deliver good words in a right way and in a sensitive way. Immediately, after Peter leaves everything to follow Jesus, Luke tells us that a leper comes to Jesus And he falls on his face before Jesus and he begs Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. These are words of faith. Jesus heals the man first. And then he speaks these words. Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. Now, we might say that those don't sound like words of good news or or, or gospel words, but they are to this man because the moment that this cleansed leper presents himself to the priest. When the priest sees that he has been made clean in that moment, that priest must allow that leper back into the temple, back in the place where God had said, this is my dwelling place on earth. This is where I will meet you. That leper, for as long as he had had leprosy, had been denied that privilege, but Jesus has healed him. And now he can go back into the presence of God. See, there is a felt need. And there's a deeper need that some people may not be able to identify. Jesus considers them both. He addresses them both. And so must we. If we will be faithful and not reckless proclaimers of gospel words. If we ever hope to speak good words in a right and sensitive way. After the leper goes on his way, Luke tells us, Once again, that great crowds gather to hear Jesus preach and to be healed of their infirmities. Included in this group is the paralyzed man whose four friends bring him on a stretcher to see Jesus. Only when they get there, they discover the only way to get to Jesus is by cutting a hole in the roof of the house where Jesus is and lowering their friend down. And that's exactly what they do. But this time, Jesus reverses the order, as we've seen him do previously. First, he speaks gospel words. Man, your sins are forgiven you. And then immediately after forgiving the man, Jesus heals him. I say to you, 
pick up your bed and go home. See, this time, Jesus speaks gospel words, and then he addresses the felt need because he, he knows that's the order that's most important in this instance, most important for the paralyzed man, for his four friends, for all that crowd who's listening to everything Jesus says and watching everything Jesus is doing. No matter the order, both are bound together. The felt need and the deeper need that some people may not be able to identify. Jesus considers them both. He addresses them both. And so must we if we will ever be faithful and not reckless proclaimers of the gospel. If you and I ever hope to say good words in a right and sensitive way. Last one. As soon as the paralyzed man picks up his mat and goes home, glorifying God, the greatest need in his life, and the the chief end of his life, Jesus meets Matthew. Matthew's sitting at his tax-collecting booth, and Jesus speaks these words to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew, just like Peter, leaves everything and he follows Jesus. But then Jesus follows Matthew right to Matthew's house. Matthew puts on this big feast for Jesus. And Matthew invites all his tax-collector friends friends who are just as greatly despised and socially rejected as Matthew himself was. And Jesus eats with them. Please imagine dinner conversation with Jesus, this rabbi, this astonishing teacher, this healer, this sin forgiver, eating with people like them. People with whom good religious people never, no, never, not ever ate or even associated. So once again, the order's reversed. First comes the gospel words, but those words that met the deepest need are followed by words that felt that met the felt need of this group of people for love and for acceptance. Both needs are bound together in people. Felt need and a deeper need that we may not be able to identify. Jesus considers them both. He addresses them both. And so must we, if we will ever be faithful and not reckless proclaimers of the gospel, if we ever hope to say good words in a right and sensitive way. Now, I trace this little brief journey of Jesus, who's propelled to go and proclaim to illustrate how Jesus tailors his proclamation around real people with real felt needs. And I trace this journey so that those who believe that words are unnecessary at best and harmful at worst will will stop believing that. I trace this journey so that those who believe that social action And meeting felt needs serve a greater good and satisfy a greater need than speaking the words of the gospel. The only words that can reach to and meet the greatest need in every human being. Pray that we'll believe that no longer. I trace this journey so that people will believe. Ecclesiastes 3.11. That God has put eternity in our hearts So that we'll believe that there really is what has been famously called a God-shaped 
hole in every human heart, a void, a longing for something other, for something outside of ourselves that God has determined can only be filled when people hear about Jesus, that he lived, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, that even in this moment he is seated in glory at the right hand of God the Father. Before that God, you must repent of your sins and turn in faith to Christ. Those words must be spoken and believed so that the whole H-O-L-E might be filled. But those words must be spoken to a whole person. W-H-O-L-E. People are not simply notches on Jesus' discipleship belt. Hit and run. They're whole, complex people with various needs. At this point, I want to join two passions of my ministry life. The first passion is the gospel. I hope by this point you know that I love the gospel. And I pray that not one Sunday goes by that the gospel of Jesus isn't proclaimed from this pulpit or from that lectern or from both together. I hope there's never one Sunday that goes by that I don't say to you, is this good news? Is it good news, the gospel? So that's my first passion. The second passion is this. It's called Entrust. Some of you, many of you have been through Entrust training. And you have led Redeemer community groups. Others of you have participated in a Redeemer community group that's been led or facilitated facilitated in an Entrust style. Some of you right now have never heard of Entrust and have no idea what I'm talking about. So for all of us, I'm going to boil down Entrust to my two favorite aspects about it. The first aspect is this, that entrust emphasizes and pushes us always to remember that every person is created in the image of God. Everyone created in the image of God. And when we keep that in mind, we treat all people differently. We speak to people differently with a dignity and a respect that we may not when we forget they like we are created in God's image and when that made in the image of God person becomes a believer in Christ in that moment they are also indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God And so when we keep that in mind, we treat other believers differently. We speak to other believers differently with a a dignity and a respect that we might not when we forget that is a made-in-the-image Spirit of God indwelled person. The Spirit of God is at work in that other believer as he is at work in me. It isn't only to me and it isn't only to you that the Spirit of God gives insight into or understanding of His Word. And so that brings me to my second favorite aspect of entrust. Questions. 
questions, questions, ask, ask, ask. How do we discover the insights that the Spirit of God has revealed to another person? I'll tell you this, we do not make that discovery by taking up all the verbal space, he said, as he preached for 45 minutes. You know what I mean? We discover those things by asking questions and listening to each other. In all my years of training people and in trust, of facilitating in trust groups, of participating in groups, where someone has facilitated an in-trust style, I tell you this, I have never one single time failed in those moments to see a truth in Scripture I had not seen before or, or an application of that truth that I had not considered before. And those truths and those applications then have potential, if I will heed them, to change my life. Now, how does this tie in with making disciples? Well, I'm going to answer that question with two applications, and then I'll be finished. I'm Mr. One-Two Man today, right? One-Two aspects, one-Two applications, but that's where we are. First application, then, follows what I've just said. Ask questions. If you hope to make a disciple, find out what people's needs are. What are their desires? What are their hurts? What are their joys? The more questions that you ask and the more information that you have, the better you will be able to speak gospel words in a right way or a sensitive way into the life of that person. If the person is weeping, weep with them. And maybe you'll speak gospel words through your own tears. If that person is rejoicing, rejoice with them and tell them that they, that there is and even greater joy than the joy they are feeling even at this time in their life. Ask questions. That's application one. Application two is this. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. If you want to make disciples, you can't be afraid. And so I'm speaking to myself here, maybe to some of you. I know that the moment that I say, speak right words... <laughs> We begin to think of wrong words, or at least I do, or all the ways that I could mess up. And so then we become paralyzed by fear. What if I say the right words in the wrong way? What if I mess it up and ruin everything for Jesus? What? No, 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 no. no. Let me alleviate that fear. Can I alleviate that fear? By saying that Jesus is no stranger to loving disciples saying the wrong thing, dumb things. We've been watching Jesus travel through these villages. One village won't accept him, and so his disciples, disciples, James and John, asked Jesus this question. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? What a dumb question. How did they think Jesus was going to respond? The gracious, compassionate, healing Jesus they've been traveling with for three years. Yes, boys, I'm going to sit over here on this little uh, rock wall. Y'all go ahead. Destroy the city. Wrong words come from loving disciples. How about this one? From all the disciples. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What a dumb question. 
How do they think that Jesus, who teaches about the least of these, is going to respond to that question? Yes, boys, okay, line up over there against the wall, and then I'll come and put you in order, most important to the least important. No. Loving disciples speak wrong words. One more. Though there, there are many, many more. This one comes from Peter. Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Oh, okay, Peter, I won't wash your feet. Wrong words come from loving disciples. Now, did any of these wrong words, even these dumb words spoken by faithful, loving disciples, did they thwart the work of Jesus? Did they prevent him from accomplishing what he sought to accomplish? And the survey says, no and no. And neither will your words or my words thwart the purpose Jesus has in the lives of those that he is calling to himself. I'll tell you this. I am a lot dumber. And I say many, many, many more wrong things than these faithful disciples did. And you're a lot smarter than I am. But you say dumb things too. You say wrong things. Even after we've prayed when our, even when our hearts are hopefully and lovingly set on saying it right, our words might still come out all wrong. But Jesus doesn't waste anything. Jesus can turn our mistakes to his good in ways that we never even saw coming, and Jesus can wring glory out of our wrong words for himself. If you are waiting for the perfect moment... If you are waiting till you believe you are ready, then you are never going to open your mouth to speak gospel words, either rightly or wrongly. So don't do that. Do this. Pray. And after you pray, trust. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He'll do the same for us. So trust. Don't be afraid. Consider the person in front of you. Remember they're created in the image of God. Ask them questions. Find out what their needs and hurts are. Help them out with that need if you can. Then speak the gospel into their lives or speak the gospel into their lives and then help them out with the need if you can. Trust the Spirit of God to show you the right order. Trust the Spirit of God to help you speak the good news about Jesus in the right way and in a sensitive way. Because Jesus, he's the reason for all our hope. Do you believe that? Do you? Jesus is the reason why the curse of sin is broken. Do you believe that? Do you? You're going to have to get better at this because your beliefs sound so weak. Jesus is the reason why we stand and sit here now forgiven. Do you believe that? He's the reason why we are not overtaken. Do you believe that? He's the reason why our hearts can be courageous. Do you believe that? And he is the reason why the dead are made alive. Do you believe that? 
These words must be spoken about Jesus. So, with faith and trust and the power of the Spirit of God and the power of the Word of God, seek to speak good words, gospel words, in a right way, in a sensitive way. And you'll be on your way to obeying this great commission. Go and make disciples. Let's pray. Well, that's all we want, honestly. I pray that's all we want is to be obedient, to go into the world and to make disciples. Keep showing us what it means. Keep giving us understanding and then propel us as you were propelled into the world to be proclaimers of the good news. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.